second reading this morning is from Romans chapter 12. I will read verses 3 through 8. Hear the word of God. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would be present in the preaching of your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that it might find root in our hearts and in the life of this church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little later in this service, we will ordain and install deacons and elders, which is something that we do every year around this time. It's part of the rhythm of the life of Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. But we will also commission the members of our administration commission, which is something that we've never done before, and it marks an important step forward in this congregation. I'll talk a little bit about that later in the service. Today is special because we officially recognize the calling and the service of a number of individuals. As the body of Christ, we recognize these individuals have been called by Almighty God to serve the body of Christ in some distinctive way. Our reading this morning from Romans chapter 12 talks about this very thing. Our reading teaches us how individual Christians fit into the larger body of Christ, how individual Christians find their true identity in Christ, how individual Christians discover their unique calling in relationship to the body of Christ. What the Bible teaches is that there are no independent Christians. There are no freelance Christians. There are no unemployed Christians either. There are no retired Christians. As a follower of Christ, each one of us has a distinct job or function within the body of Christ. As followers of Christ, we discover our identity and our purpose in life in relationship to that body. So for those of you who are taking notes this morning, this sermon is going to have three sections. The first section is a warning about individualism. The second section is a discussion of the body and body parts. And the third section is about how God calls us and equips us to a particular function within the body. And then after all of that, we will ordain, install, and commission a number of uh, the members of this body. So here we go. 
So first, a warning about individualism and Christianity. I want to say this bluntly but politely. Individualism and Christianity do not go together. Individualism and Christianity do not go together. Now that's a tough message for some of us because we are a nation of rugged individualists. I come from a long line of contrarians, of free thinkers, of people swimming against the tide. For generations, Morrison men have, actually Morrison women too now that I think about it, have prided themselves in holding unpopular, contrary opinions. Those of you who know my son John Calvin know that he is a Morrison as well. So I feel the sting of my own words when I say individualism and Christianity do not go together. Individualism says, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-invented creature. Individualism says, I choose who I will be and what I will do. Individualism says, if the good of society and the good of the individual clash, society must yield to the individual. In the words of Invictus, H.E. Henley's often quoted poem, individualism says, I am the captain of my soul. I am the master of my fate. That's what individualism says. We love it as Americans. But what does the Word of God say? It says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. It says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. It says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. It says, woe to those who quarrel with their maker. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? It says, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. It says, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them. And Paul says in our reading this morning, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. Individualism tells us that we get to define who we are. That we get to say what and who we are. That we get to name ourselves. And this anti-biblical mythology has been so deeply imbibed in our culture that we've reached the point of absurdity. Grown men who carry the XY chromosome in all 37.5 billion cells of their body can stand up and say without irony, I'm a woman. Because I feel like one. And we cower and are afraid to speak the obvious truth. We're afraid to speak the truth that dares contradict the mythology of this moment. We're afraid to say the emperor has no clothes. We're afraid to say, no, you actually don't get to create yourself in your own image. You actually don't get to be your own potter. The myth of self-creation has taken root in our culture and perhaps in our hearts 
But the word of God tells us, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to the culture of this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, I would never want to suggest that we humans are passive or inert. I would never want to suggest that we're unable to create and to act. Nothing could be farther from the truth simply because we are made in the image of God and God is an actor and God is a creator. But there is a givenness to our lives. Part of who we are is simply given to us. And there's nothing we can do about that. We don't choose what era we're born into. We don't choose our parents. We don't choose our gender. We don't choose the country of our birth. We don't choose our genetics. We don't choose our race. We don't choose whether we're left-handed or right-handed. And if you dye your hair, the roots will keep showing. There is a givenness to our lives. There simply are things and realities that we are presented with that are given to us. It's the hand that we're dealt. And we don't get to choose that hand. But the human heart revolts against givenness because what is given to us is outside of our power and our control. Because what is given to us restricts our freedom. And so like a petulant child who says to his parents, I didn't choose to be born into this family, the human heart, unilluminated by God's grace, goes to war with givenness. No, we did not choose to be born. No, we did not choose to be male or female. No, we did not choose to be born into this country or this time. We didn't choose it. Maturity and sanity require that we accept the givenness of reality. And that means we need to stop believing the myth that we can be whatever we want to be. In the past few years, I have become more and more convinced that the frontal assault on the doctrine of creation by pagans and by atheists is really an assault on the givenness of human life. It makes us angry that we don't get to determine all things, to choose all things. In our lives. And so like adolescents, we stamp our feet and say, I refuse to believe in a God that I didn't choose. All right, that's enough on that first point. Let me talk about the body and body parts. Contrary to the myth of self-creation are two foundational biblical doctrines. The first doctrine is creation. The doctrine of creation says that God made all things. It says that nothing is independent of God. And it says that God has a purpose, a design, and and an intention for his creation. That he made things in a certain way. And he wanted them to be that way. And the second doctrine is a doctrine of providence. The doctrine of providence teaches that God guides the events of history according to the counsel of his will. It says that he works... All things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It says that all events in history work together to bring glory to God. Now both of those foundational doctrines are woven throughout scripture from Genesis through Revelation. And both of those doctrines reject the contemporary myth of self-creation or self-determination. Here's how that shows up in our readings from Romans 12 today. 
Paul tells us to think of ourselves with sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now notice that word assigned. Leave it up there, that slide. Notice the word assigned. The measure of faith that God has assigned. What? Do you mean that I don't get to determine the measure of faith that I have? Does that mean that I am not in control of my faith quotient? Yeah, that's what that means. That's exactly what that means. Now remember the important statement of the gospel from Ephesians chapter 2. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this faith is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Our faith is God's doing. That means we don't get credit for it. It's not work that we accomplish. It's a gift from God. Just like your gender, which you don't get to choose. Just like your parents, which you don't get to choose. Just like the time into which you were born, which you do not get to choose. This idea of God assigning us our place in the world comes up again in 1 Corinthians where we read, Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. The life that the Lord has assigned to him. Wow. How does that sit with our demand for total freedom? How does that fit with our belief that we are completely self-determined? How does that square with the idea that we are self-created people? Now, as followers of Christ, we're called into the body of Christ. Here's what Paul says. Just as each of us has one body with many members or parts, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. Each member or each part belongs to all the other. As I've already said, there are no independent Christians, just like there are no independent spleens or independent elbows. A spleen is a spleen and an elbow is an elbow only because it's part of a body. Cut the spleen off from the body, amputate the elbow from the body, and you no longer have a spleen or an elbow. What you have is a piece of meat. What you have in quick order is a stinking, rotting mass of ooze. There are no independent Christians. To be Christian means that you are part of the body of Christ. And I don't mean that you first become a Christian and then at some later date join the body of Christ. I mean that there are no independent Christians. Becoming a Christian and becoming a member of the body of Christ are simultaneous. So in... So the church is the body of Christ, and it is made up of all of these parts, these individual Christians. And we individually, uh, as Christians, are part of the body because we're part of Christ. And we each have a function to play inside of that body, whether it's to be a spleen or to be an elbow. And not only are we Christians because we're part of the body of Christ, because we belong to the body, but... Because we belong to the body, we also belong to one another. Okay, So all of you belong to Christ, but you also horizontally belong to each 
other. The elbow belongs to the spleen, and the spleen belongs to the elbow, and they each need each other. There's a kind of radical interdependence, not independence, but interdependence in the body of Christ. Another reason why there is no independent Christian Because spleens need elbows and elbows need spleens. And when we're grafted into the body, each one of us has been given some very specific part to play. Everyone counts in the body of Christ and everyone is needed. All right, part three. Let me talk about the various gifts and the calling that we have in the body of Christ. Paul writes, we have different gifts According to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. A couple of things to notice. First, the function... Or the role that we have in the body of Christ is determined by our gifts. In other words, God equips us with gifts to do what is required of us in whatever role or function that he's called us to. If God has called you to be a teacher, you will have the gift of teaching. If God has called you into leadership, you will lead with zeal. Which means that if you don't have the gift, you also don't have the calling. Even if you want to be a teacher, even if you want to be a leader, you're not called into those positions unless you have the gifts. For nine years, I was on what was called the Committee on Preparation for Ministry in the Presbytery of Philadelphia. That's the committee that uh, oversees uh, people who think that they're called into the ministry. And now when you spend uh, time on a committee like that, you begin to discover that not everyone who wants to be in ministry, in fact, has been called into ministry. And the way this committee would discern the difference between those who wanted to be in ministry and those who were called into ministry was very simple. They would simply look at their gifting. If they had the gifts, they were called. If they didn't have the gifts, they weren't called. Let me put it to you this way. If you can't read music, if you have no rhythm, if you can't carry a tune in a bucket, if you don't know the difference between fortissimo and pianissimo, then we're pretty sure that you're not called to be a choir director. If we are called to a position, God will give us the gifts that we need for that job. And just because you want the job doesn't mean that you're called to it. Even if you really, really want it. If you're called to a certain place in the body of Christ, God will give you what you need to fulfill that place. And second, we don't choose what our part will be in the body of Christ. There are all kinds of different parts in the body of Christ. It's a very large, complex organism. In the Romans passage, Paul lists just a few, prophesying, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, works of mercy. There are lots and lots more than those, of course. But while there is a tremendous multiplicity of roles within the body of Christ, we don't actually get to choose what our role will be. 
Rather, our role chooses us. Now, listen to this. This is, a, this is a little strange. We also don't necessarily like the role that God has called us to. One of the common features of the stories about the call of the prophets is that they all say to God, when they've been called, you've got to be crazy, God. you can't possibly want me for this job. You must have the wrong guy. I don't want the job. Please choose someone else. In fact, you see in Scripture that if someone goes looking for the job of prophet, that they've not, in fact, been called to that job. That certainly was my experience on the Committee on Preparation for Ministry. There were people who would come to the committee convinced that they were called to preach even though no one else in their life had ever seen that in them and their church had not uh, endorsed that in them. And those individuals were the problem cases. Just because we think that we want something doesn't mean that that's what it is that God has called us to. Now here's the wonderful thing. God does have a specific place for every Christian In the body of Christ. A custom made place just for you. And that place is exactly fitted for who you are. And for what your gifts are. And when we plug into that place. We become a blessing to a lot of people who are around us. And we also discover our calling and our purpose in life. Today we will ordain and install and commission individuals who have been called by God through the mouth of the church to very special roles in the body of Christ. The deacons and the elders that we ordain and install today are here because they were identified by the nominating committee. They were elected by the congregation. They were examined by the session. These officers will uh, serve the church. They will serve the kingdom of God. They will take special vows in front of you and in front of God today. And they will undergo continuous training during the whole time that they're serving. Deacons are called to the ministry of mercy and, and to service. They attend to needs that are inside of this congregation and in the community that's around us. When people are in trouble... The deacons are eager to serve. I think there is perhaps no better school for the Christian life than to be a deacon. And I wish that our whole congregation was as eager to show God's love and mercy through practical helps as are our deacons. Deb Jack is currently the chair of the board of deacons and the deacons as a whole are very energetic and enthusiastic and creative. These people are actively looking for ways to be helpful. Elders are the ones who are called to the ministry of shepherding and teaching. They exercise spiritual oversight of the congregation. They govern this church. They ensure that the work of this church moves forward. They are all equipped to teach. This coming year, the elders 
working in conjunction with the deacons, will be working hard on a shepherding program designed to ensure that none of our people fall through the cracks, that no one in this congregation is overlooked, that everyone has an elder and a deacon that they can talk with and share prayer concerns with, and that the session as a whole is more aware of the needs in the congregation and is better able to meet those needs in a timely fashion. And finally, this year for the first time, we will commission the members of our administration commission. The administration commission, or AC as we call it, is responsible for stewarding the temporal worldly goods of the church. That means they are the people who keep our building uh, in good working order. They're the ones who make sure that our grounds are safe and attractive. They're the ones who watch over our financial resources and make sure that they're adequate to the needs of the ministry. The members of the AC have volunteered. They have also been uh, approved and appointed by the session. Their president this year is uh, Elder Rich Good, and they bear a very large burden. They bear this burden so that the session will be able to spend more of its time on the spiritual concerns of the church. Christianity is an incarnational religion. The spirit always comes in the flesh. So while the session attends to the spiritual matters of the church, the AC takes care of the physical part of the church. And together this is a very important combination. Deacons and elders and commissioners all working together will allow this church to prosper will ensure that God will be honored here, that the kingdom of Christ will be expanded, that lost souls will be brought into the fold, that the saints will be nurtured, that our young and that our old will be cared for, and that God will be glorified in all that we do. So in closing, let me say this to each of you here today. I think it's really important for everyone who is in the body of Christ to figure out what special place you fit in. There's a place for each one of us in the body of Christ. God has equipped each one of us in unique and special ways. And the body as a whole needs the service of each individual member. When we find that place that fits us, that that role that is exactly suited to our gifting, when we discover that, we discover our calling, we discover our function, we discover what it is that God wants us to be doing in his large and complicated body, and it's a really sweet place to be. So this morning we will uh, ordain, install, and commission individuals who've been identified uh, by the congregation and by the session Uh, But I want you, the rest of us, all to be thinking about where it is that we fit in as well. So let us pray. Father God, we do honor you and adore you, and we thank you that you have called us into the body. And that you have given us one another to, uh, to serve and to love one another. We thank you that you've equipped uh, each one of us in special ways with gifts that I will serve and care for one another. Lord, this morning as we continue in worship, as we install and ordain and, and commission members of this congregation, we pray that, that we might um, 
see this as an act of worship and that you might be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. All right, I'm going to call.